to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, crisis management, resilience, emergency management, and anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, as I always say, if there is something specific you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free, send me an email. You can go to the Voice America page. Uh, for the show and at the bottom there's a little button that says send host an email or something to that effect i do get all emails and i do respond to everything i get Mm. so please feel free uh, if you have any uh, thing you'd like us to talk about on the show also remind everyone i will be speaking at the continuity and resilience today conference in toronto a october 7th and 8th i believe the dates are And uh, I just found out the other day that I've been accepted to speak at BCI World 2020 in Birmingham, UK, uh, November 5th and 6th. So if you're at either one of those conferences and you see me walking around with my handheld recorder, please feel free. Come on up and say something. Maybe we'll get you on the show. If you have any advertising or sponsorships that you'd like us to uh, have on the show or commercials to play, please feel free. Send me a note as well. Same way. And we'll get some information to you. And today's show, I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product, Boast Assessment, that allows you to do regular self-audits and uh, statuses of your program. And you can check that out at boastassessment.com. Now, today's guest, uh, you may have heard on the show once before, and I'll touch on that uh, a little later because uh, it's kind of a humorous story. Um, but I'm sure many of you get the Disaster Recovery Journal magazine, and uh, quite often there's some really interesting articles in there. And the last edition, the spring 2020 edition, I got to plug that, or Bob Arnold will kill me if I get the get the uh, version wrong. Um, there's an article in there about climate change, uh, a challenging climate. 2020 is a defining year for climate change and BCM. And I'd like to welcome to the show the author of that article. James Green. James, welcome to the show. Hey, Alex. Thank you. It's nice to speak with you again. I have to say, uh, both of those conferences that you mentioned later in the year, I will also be at both of those. So at this point, I don't know if I'm following you around the world or you're following <laughs> me around the world, but looking forward to seeing you uh, in, in three countries this year. So That's right. <laughs> well, if anyone uh, has listened to our live broadcasts, uh, especially from DRJ Phoenix last year, uh, James, you were one of our live guests on the show. Yes, I was. That was a lot of fun. Um, we experienced our own little business continuity incident there when I had some issues with my headset. But, uh, so that was, but it was great talking to you. Had a lot of good feedback from people who heard that spot and heard your show in general and all of us in the profession really, really appreciate, you know, all that you do, getting our, oh, getting our good you. words out there. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was good. It was 
kind of funny looking back that it's a lucky thing we weren't filming that because every 10 seconds, Ryan from Voice America kept running over to James to fix his headset. Something was going wrong. <laughs> yeah, he was a consummate professional. Absolutely. I'm very happy that was not on screen. So. Um, just in case anyone, I know James, you're quite well known in the industry, but just in case somebody um, new out there, because we do have global listeners literally around the globe, um, and you'd be surprised at some of the countries who are listening. Uh, can you give us a, a short uh, bio of yourself, how you got into the industry and what you do? Sure, absolutely. So my name is James Green. I am the Director of Risk Advisory Services for SAI Global. We are a global uh, risk and learning company. That's all I'll say about that because we're not here to talk about vendors today. Uh, I've been with the company for three years. Previous to that, I've spent the last 10 years of my career in the business continuity industry, uh, leading either large U.S. or multinational programs as, uh, you know, the head of business continuity management. Now I'm on the consulting side. I got into this industry haphazardly, Alex, really. I think how we all do. It was 2008. The economy was melting down. My company had just sold its portfolio and laid everyone off. And I got a call from a, a great friend of mine who said, hey, there's this company. They're looking for some people kind of outside of the box to help them with business continuity. Um, I interviewed for the job. I somehow got the job. I had so little uh, faith in my ability to do the job that when I, I had to move and reload for the job that I rented an apartment because I figured... I'll make it three to six months if I'm, I'm lucky. And, you know, here we are 13 years later, and it's my whole life's work. So, Well, glad to have you here and uh, glad you're, uh, you know, sharing the, uh, spreading the word of business continuity as well. Absolutely. Now, uh, to your article, it's, it's about climate change, but I'm wondering if you could clear something up for us. You know, people yeah. see a thunderstorm and say, oh, that's due to climate change. So in your opinion, what is climate change? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, right? Because this term has taken on a lot of political meaning, mm -hmm. right? You're going to have listeners who believe that climate change is real. You're going to have listeners who don't believe it's real. Um, but for me as a business continuity person, whether you're discussing climate change or extreme weather or erratic weather or shifts in weather, it doesn't matter from our standpoint, right? If you and I are the VC manager for a company and our building just got flooded, we're not going to turn to each other and say, hey, Alex, James, was that climate change? Was that just a heavy rainstorm? It doesn't right. matter, right? For us, we're focusing on, we're seeing people lose facilities. We're seeing um, erosion and weather at an increased pace that we've never seen before. So we're trying to, to get business continuity professionals to understand, you know, let's, let's focus on, on the risk and what we're trying to do. And, and let's kind of leave some of the political aspects of it uh, just set aside for now. Well, that was something I was going to ask, because you mentioned the, the four-letter word, risk. Uh, yes. With, with, with risk, aren't we already, or shouldn't we, already be identifying these risks? 
or dirt, like how does climate change come into it? Does it just compound it or, or? Yeah, I think it certainly compounds it. So when we talk about risk, right, we all like to do our risk assessments. And one of the biggest challenges with risk assessments is they're based on historical data. So if you're in the United States and you look at U.S. flood zone maps, those are everything that has happened. And one of the biggest misnomers and one of the biggest challenges we see is you've heard people talk about the 500-year floodplain, right? There's parts of the country mm-hmm. that are in the 500-year flood. So that doesn't mean that it's only going to happen one time in 500 years. It means that the odds are one in 500. And when you play those games, you can get burnt. So, you know, we were mm-hmm. working with a, a client in Houston in, in 2017, Hurricane Harvey dumped 50 inches of rain. That was determined a 500-year floodplain anomaly. So that should hmm. mean they're good for 500 years, right? <clears throat> you, well. But they weren't because <laughs> in, in, in 2019, they got hit by Tropical Depression Imelda, and that was over 30 inches of rain. So that was less than two years later. They had two one-in-500-year events. So does that mean we should kind of change the way we do our risk assessments or look at them or calculate our level of risk? Yeah, I, th- I certainly see, um, you know, if you're looking at a very basic risk model of probability times impact, right? That's kind yeah. of the first risk assessments people do. You may want to increase that probability. Just looking at the last 100 years, or last 50 years may not be um, the right frequency to assess those. So we're certainly, yeah, we're certainly advising people when you do those risk assessments, you know, we still want to measure the most relevant risk, but we need to be mindful that as more and more things seem to be happening in the world, the frequency of those events is going to increase. I I was talking with, um, I I don't know if you know, uh, Professor Kathleen Tierney, she does a lot of research on uh, disasters and uh, sociology and society and risk and everything. And she was suggesting that maybe we need to change um, how we look at our risk. We don't just identify, let's say, an earthquake, but we look beyond what does an earthquake do and, and kind of expanding our view on our risk, like thinking beyond the pro- probable. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that is very profound, and and I really agree with that. So when we do risk modeling, all of us, we look at what has happened, right, to to Mm -hmm. her point. So a great example that's going on in the world, uh, you know, certainly in in the first quarter of this year, who was doing pandemic risk modeling six months ago in September, October? Right. No one was looking at that as a high probability event. Now, every one of your listeners here, when they hear this podcast and we're talking about climate change, I'm pretty sure they were impacted in some way, shape or form about coronavirus. That didn't occur in people's risk models because it was something that hasn't happened yet. So, yeah, I certainly agree. You want to be looking at ancillary effects and you want to be helping your your organization create resilience. You can mitigate risk against a specific event, but what happens when there's 
the next coronavirus? What happens when there's the next September 11th? There's always a black swan event or something that happens in the world. And then once it happens, we're experts on it. But what do you do when it's coming up? Well, that that's an interesting point because um, – I know coronavirus right now, it's a little bit different the way things are, are hitting. But we yeah. had SARS and we had MERS and we had H1N1 or, or swine flu. So yeah. is there a reason some people didn't see a reoccurrence when we've already had it three, four times, you know, that something else would come down the road? Maybe mm-hmm. because we weren't impacted by one of the other ones? Yeah, certainly, you know, you make great points. We, we did go through H1N1. We did go through MERS and SARS and Ebola and you name it. Those were all regional, though, mm-hmm. right? Even though they had some effect throughout the globe, they were very minor, right? Um, looking throughout the world, using Ebola as an example, very concentrated in one part of the world, minor cases throughout. We've never seen a pandemic spread like this. I think some of the the last stats were, uh, you know, 170, 180 countries had cases. That's unprecedented. And Mm -hmm. so that's where you get in trouble. Risk modeling is if you're looking at pandemics and you only looked at MERS and SARS and H1N1 and and pick one, something new comes along, right? And it, it, it just, it turns your risk models completely upside down. And so how do we, using the existing, you know, uh, P times I equals R formula, yes. how do we go about changing that? Just times everything by two? I know that sounds silly. Well, but, you know. <laughs> no, I, I, I like that. But, uh, you know, what companies need to do, and this isn't pleasant, is what is, let's look at worst case scenario. What is the worst thing that could happen? to our business. And people don't like to talk about that, right? Mm -hmm. Because worst case scenario ends up in something we didn't see and we go out of business. But by discussing worst case scenario, when something happens less than that, hopefully we're prepared. It's not just a matter of um, increasing the P or the I, because I think where it's lost in translation is, is risk professionals like us really understand what that means. But when you explain a risk model, a risk assessment to your board of directors, to your management, do they understand what that means? Do they understand that this risk is on a one to five is a four and this is a three and a half? They're like, oh, well, three and a half, four, those are pretty close to each other. Um, So I think, you know, kind of it is, is just changing, using recent events to talk to management about here are risks that are happening globally that are unprecedented. And so we need to be more resilient. We need to prepare for things that happen. And yes, as the climate continues to change, it's just going to accelerate different types of disruptions. Well, you, you mentioned board of directors and try to come back to climate change a little more. Mm-hmm. How do we get our senior leadership and board of directors to buy into the risk of climate change and what it can do to us when we are well aware, because we see the posts on LinkedIn and Facebook and in magazines and online that buy-in 
for business continuity is always a challenge for people. So how do we get the board of directors to see climate change as something they need to you know, support us with? Yeah, that's a good question. So the fastest way I have found to get board of directors' attention is to talk about revenue, right? For every company, that is one or two of the most important factors. So, you know, Morgan Stanley says that in the last three years in North America alone, climate disasters have cost companies $400 billion, right? Spring... Spring flooding last year cost Archer Daniels Midland $50 million. The wildfires last year in California caused PG&E in California to declare Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Those are some facts, right? And those are uh, numbers and statistics that get management's attention very quickly. Hey, this is, this could be an eight, nine, ten figure problem. This could put us into bankruptcy. In in my experience, that always gets the board's attention immediately. Well, I I guess that comes down to that old saying, your money talks. Yes. Right. (laughs) Uh, If you're a for-profit business or even a non-profit business, your goal, your first goal is to stay in business. And if you can't stay in business, then what are you doing? And that's really what, you know, for me, the heart of business continuity is During the worst case, you can stay in business. You can make it through. And and to hop back to to coronavirus just really quickly, we're seeing companies, companies went out of business, right? Regional airlines in the United States, Compass Airlines, Transstate Airlines, closed up shop. And early on, too, they did not have uh, sufficient business continuity plans or reserves. And they no longer exist. Yeah, I noticed some some of the larger airlines, you know, even though they've laid off thousands of people, they are, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, still in business to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. You're seeing some very extreme, you want to talk about worst case scenarios, Cathay Pacific Airlines cut their flights by 96%. I can't wow. think of many businesses that could survive on 4% of their revenue. No, that's so that <laughs> that's is incredible. that is a worst case scenario. Well, that, so. that would that would definitely get the attention of board of directors and senior management. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we've come to the end of our first segment today. We're talking with James Green, whose uh, latest article in the Spring 2020 DRJ mag- magazine is a, a, a challenging climate. 2020 is a defining year for climate change in BCM. We'll be right back. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. 
Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with James Green, whose article in the Spring 2020 DRJ Magazine, A Challenging Climate, um, when we're talking to James about uh, climate change. Now, James, a lot of our listeners are you know, mm. business continuity or disaster planning professionals or, you know, obviously. But I'm sure many of us have probably only know climate change really from what we see on the news and or maybe read about. How do we get ourselves involved to really understand some of the things that we talked about in the, the first episode? Are there special skills you know, how do I get in more involved to understand it? Yeah, well, certainly the good news is you do not have to be a climatologist, right? Oh, um, you have to be a risk professional. And as a risk professional, we want to look at what are the most relevant risks? What are happening? Uh, what are the things that are happening around the world? And you have some examples just in the last six months of things that are New, right? Hur uh, hurricane Lorenzo was the largest hurricane ever so far east in the Atlantic. In September of 2019, for the first time ever, we had six named storms in the Atlantic and Pacific. Uh, the last winter was the wettest on record. Even in Europe, we had freak snowstorms and blizzards in November. Like things people are not seeing. So the way you get involved as a business continuity professional is to look around what are the things that are impacting where you're located? What are the things that are impacting where your supply chain is, right? Mm -hmm. This is going to be more of a supply chain issue, just like we saw with coronavirus. Companies may have been okay. Their suppliers and their suppliers, vendors were not. So with a climate change, if you're a manufacturer, 
do you rely on a vendor or supplier that's in an area that might be more volatile uh, weather-wise? What's the risk of that vendor? So that's, that's how we get involved. I think our goals are to identify a risk to help the company mitigate those risks. So we need to more finely tune. Um, we can't just look at, oh, what's the risk of a fire, right? We don't want to ignore that, but things are getting more complex now. You may have mm-hmm. previously been in an area that wasn't prone to flooding. You may have been in an area that wasn't prone to snowstorms, but things are happening happening more often. And you need to capture and assess those those risks. And, you know, the goal of risk assessment is not just to create a risk register and you can say, hey, here's my risk as the world burns. The goal is to mitigate those risks, increase right. resiliency. So that, that's how people um, in our profession should be getting getting involved. You, you mentioned two things that I just want to touch on. Um, one is the pay attention around you. So what kind of things outside of climate change do we need to pay attention to? And what I'm getting at is, you know, if all of a sudden we're clearing a forest, let's say, a bit, you know, all of a sudden we're working somewhere and all the trees around us are cut down and gone, all of a sudden we have wind issues, which we didn't have before, let's say, you know, because the barrier is gone. Is that the sort of thing, you know, type of thinking we need to change a little bit and look at things differently? Absolutely, Alex. So you and I chatted in the first segment about Houston, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that Houston has gotten hit so hard, there was historically a lot of marsh and areas that would absorb rain in Houston. As Houston has grown as a city, we have covered those areas with concrete, right, to build factories and companies and malls and houses. The problem with that is now you have nowhere for that rain to go. And that's a great example of, of things you should be looking at. Hey, if you were historically protected by marshland, by wetland, are you in an area that's growing quickly? Because if so, those maps and those items you're using may not be relevant. And that's you know, unfortunately, what we've seen in Houston twice in the last three years now, there was a lot more concrete than people realized. And that just allowed the water just to run, you know, straight downtown. So with climate change, I, I still have that other point I want to get to, but I, I like where, yeah. where this is going. With the, the climate change aspect, we're really not just looking at what affects me in my office or my company as I sit here. We're really looking at, um, with regards to climate change, everything around us, our environments, not our work, just our work environments, but our environments around us. Correct. It's a, a business continuity manager needs to be highly in tune, not just with their business, but with their community. So I worked with a company that was on higher ground. And they didn't quite realize that the only road into and out of the business was a little bit lower. And they had a freak storm. It flooded out the street. The building was fine. The lights were on. Power was on. Nobody could get there. You now have a business continuity event because I can't get any of my people into the building. Right? So you need to be aware of what's around you. And the community is important. If your local community isn't resilient and you lose power, 
and people stay home? How do your employees get to work? Will they get to work? Right? So it's not just, we can't just focus just on our business. We need to focus on where we're located, the community around us, how resilient is the community. We've certainly seen in the U.S. certain areas of the, um, the country have responded in a better manner to a hurricane or a flood or a tornado than others. Those directly impact your business. If the community is down, your business cannot be open. So as professionals, should we be reaching out to um, other organizations in our community, mm-hmm. uh, you know, local um, environment offices or uh, emergency management, management planners or disaster planners, you know, to gain insight into some of this stuff? Because depending on what uh, practice guidelines you follow, uh, I forget the exact term, but I think it's, you know, it says work with public authorities or something. Mm-hmm. So is that taking that a step farther? Yes, it certainly is. Um, The best business continuity managers I know can tell you exactly who the local uh, official is or personnel for emergency management for the jurisdiction. Do you know those people? Do you spend time with those people? Are they embedded with you? Are you embedded with them? Um, You you know, everything, bringing a community back up after disaster is a true public-private partnership. And during a disaster is not the time to try and make those relationships. Um, the public sector has a lot to offer the private sector uh, and, and vice versa. And I'm very, I'm involved in a lot of public-private partnerships because uh, from a risk standpoint, because I believe, you know, we need each other before, before during, and after a disaster. Yeah, so certainly all of your listeners should, should know, hey, where my offices are, where I am. Who are, you know, who's, who's the local EMS? Who are the people that are working to, you know, clear the streets or get the lights back on or the power or first responders? Because you're going to need all of them before mm-hmm. your, your business is open and there's ways you can help them, right? You see a lot of, yep. of restaurants and organizations who, who feed first responders. You certainly saw, you're seeing during coronavirus companies step up and provide N95 masks and pitching in because they realize if the community isn't back up, your company won't be either. Well, I'm, I have to say I'm really happy to hear you say that because I also sit on the advisory board of directors for the International Emergency Management Society teams. Excellent. And, uh, you know, what you said, they've been saying a lot but they, that message doesn't seem to, for some reason, come over to the business continuity side. So to hear you say that, I'm really happy, you know, that, you know, there's somebody, you know, who, who is looking in, in that direction. So, you know, kudos to you for saying that. I'm really happy to hear that. I think um, any business continuity management professional who's ever been through a disaster is acutely aware of how important the public sector is. I'm based in Florida hurricanes here all the time, right? If the power's Mm. not up, if the hospitals aren't open, if first responders aren't making us safe, the business aspect can't happen. That all comes afterwards. So yeah, it is a true, it is a true partnership. Oh, great. I'm so happy to hear that. They're going to be happy to hear that when I tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other point, I get back to one of those uh, first two, you mentioned uh, also looking around what's happening in the world. So should we be 
better uh, managing our lessons learned processes? Yeah, I think that's a huge myth in our profession is we manage mm-hmm. through a disaster or incident, we get through it, we're very happy, and then we go back to business as usual. And there's a, a key step there, that after action review or that, that incident review or hot wash for my government friends, um, those are really important because your plans are what you think you're going to do during a disaster or an incident, Right. What did you actually do? Where did you succeed? Where did you fall down? People don't like to put that stuff down on paper, but how do you um, remediate gaps if you don't admit where your weaknesses were? And that is really the most, one of the most powerful ways to make your organization more resilient is to do a formal after-action review, document the good, bad, and the ugly, mm-hmm. and then not just stick it on a shelf, Right, but actually use that document, use those lessons learned, and incorporate them into your into your program. Um, and that's that's really how we see companies who are the most resilient and survive the next whatever event is the ones who have learned the most from the last event. Well, I, about a year and a half ago, I interviewed uh, Nick Milton, author of Lessons Learned Handbook, and he said that you know a, a lesson. Uh, learned if nothing changes, you know, whether it be a document or process or, or communication protocol, anything like that, if nothing changes, it's just a lesson observed. Exactly. And what do, what do we teach our kids all the time? Like, hey, what right. did you learn? Right? My son was running down the stairs the other day. He fell on the last stair. What did he learn? Don't run down the stairs. And we tell our kids, okay, don't run down the stair again. But then we do the same thing as a business. We just keep going on like nothing happened. Oh, thank goodness we got through that. Is there a reason we, we do that? In, in your opinion, having worked with so many different people, is it, does it go back to, you know, we got to keep moving forward. We've got clients to deal with, customers to deal with, orders to fill. So we don't have time for it. But then it comes back to buying. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're creatures of habit, one. And yeah, we want to get back to business as usual as quick as possible. And then really the third reason is looking at an, looking at an incident and actually documenting the good and the bad. People are very uncomfortable with that. And it's not, the point of it is not it to turn into a blame game of, well, Alex was supposed to activate our crisis communications and he didn't. It's not mm-hmm. supposed to be like that. So I think people tend to shy away because it's going to be a he said, she said, you know, hot potato. It's just supposed right. to be, use that example, okay, the crisis communication structure was not activated. And why wasn't it activated? What mm-hmm. happened? What can we learn from that? Okay, Alex was on a plane during that time. Okay, great. We need a backup for him. Or Alex wasn't. A lot of times we see it. You have a responsibility you're not fully trained on and we're not aware of. That's not a blame Alex thing. That's a, hey, let's, this is a training opportunity. I, I think some people see the question why as blame, another word for blame or, or um, you know, a reason to blame rather than hmm. try to find root cause to solve. Exactly. But then those are the people, like you said, you don't ever learn from your mistakes. It's not yeah. what did I do wrong. It's what did the organization 
do wrong and how can we and how can we do it better and that's why you see um certain organizations really on top of their game during a disaster you look at uh, you know, here in the in the southeast United States, Walmart and Chick-fil-A and Waffle House are the three most resilient organizations I can think of because they constantly look back and what did we learn? What did we miss? How can we improve? And that's why those stores are always the first open after an incident because they're willing to do those honest assessments. Well, I think that goes back to a comment you said earlier that actually helps organizations become resilient by leveraging lessons learned. Exactly. And those are the companies that thrive, right? So again, where I live, um, two years ago, we had, you know, pretty significant hurricane power was out Alex for miles, except Mm -hmm. for there was one small local restaurant that the last time they had gotten hit by a hurricane they went out and they invested in a generator. And for a small mom and pop business, that is an expensive item, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So the next time a storm came, after everything, the dust settled, the grid was still down. They fired up that generator and they were the only restaurant within like five miles that was open. They did gangbusters. Wow. They made money back from that. Like, what we, What do you think the ROI was on that <laughs> generator? They made so much money during the two, three days that power was out. And then they, they got new customers. And those are the mm-hmm. types of companies. Are you willing to invest to mitigate risk? It always pays off. It always pays off. I've never it, spoken it, to any board of directors or management team who's like, oh, I wish we would have spent less to mitigate risk. Now, I've never <laughs> heard that. No, that's not going to happen. Because <laughs> it's always a case of when, not if. Something <clears throat> exactly. happens. Right? You know, exactly. On that, note, on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We're talking with James Green, whose article, A Challenging Climate, is in the Spring Disaster DRJ Uh, magazine, uh, the spring 2020 edition, and we'll be right back with James. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Your pets play a major role in your life. After all, they're as much a member of the family as anybody else. Now there's a show that will show you how to keep them healthy and living their life to the fullest. Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'll talk about veterinary health and help you understand the wellness and treatment plans that you need to know about your best friend. Listen every Wednesday to Healthy Tales at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with James Green and about his article, A Challenging Climate in the Spring 2020 DRJ Magazine. James, a lot of great information in the first two segments. In this one, I, I was just wondering, you know, one thing, what are the benefits of climate change preparedness that we can do, you know, right off the bat? Or what are some of the um, initial steps we should start taking to change our view and start bringing in climate change um, thoughts and risks into our current practices? How should we go about doing that? Yeah, so I mean it, it's it's something that a lot of people are thinking about. So, you know, the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, they're a large investment hedge fund, basically. Um, in their annual letter last year, I thought it was interesting. He said that the financial risk of climate change are bigger than any crisis he has ever faced in his career on Wall Street, and that's a powerful statement for a, a financier mm-hmm. to make. So the, the the benefits to me are. The world is changing. The climate is changing. Weather is going to get more erratic. And like we talked about at the last section, um, no company has ever said, I wish I would have spent less on risk. So the benefits are you're going to get ahead of the game. You're going to make your organization more resilient. We're also seeing a lot of companies put an emphasis on environmental and social governance, right? You Mm -hmm. have investors looking at, how do you handle that? You have customers looking at that because customers care. And what do customers do when they feel you're not doing the right thing? We go they somewhere else. And they, they, they go somewhere else, right? There's a reason looking at some of the things that Apple has done. For example, all their data centers run on 100% clean energy. All their retail stores, their new head, their headquarters runs on clean energy. They have squeezed... Uh, for lack of a better word, their suppliers do the same. Mm-hmm. 44, 44 of their suppliers now do that. And their goal is they're trying to, in this number, I had to help my son do the math, they're trying to bring four gigawatts of renewable energy into their supply chain by the end of this year. Um, 
or an equivalency, that would be enough power to generate 1.5 million homes. So why are they, why are they doing that, Alex? I mean, is it just because they want to be a good corporate citizen? You know, maybe that's part of it. But more mm-hmm. of it is, as things get more volatile, they can control certain aspects of their supply chain, right? If you are a organization that relies on fuel, look at the airline, right? Fuel prices, oil prices go way up. What happens to the airlines? They're in trouble. They go down, mm-hmm. they make money. If you can just from a financial perspective, minimize some of that volatility, um, you're going to be in better shape financially. And then, like I said, there's a lot of companies really focusing on environmental social governance, ESG, because a lot of people are paying attention to that. It's the right thing to do to make things more sustainable. Um, it helps your organization. It helps it helps helps the world. But even just from a cynical aspect, right, it lowers your cost, which is another thing that always gets management's attention. If you have a way mitigate risk and lower cost, they're going to listen to you. Yeah. So what if, how do I say this? What suggestion do you have for those organizations that, you know, aren't environmentally conscious, but so they don't see climate change as, as anything to worry about? What do you say to them when you just went through a whole list of some really great benefits and things that can come out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, you know, I know you, we can say revenue, but you know, if they're already making a lot of revenue, how do you get them to kind of flip that mindset, you know, to still get the, the revenue? Yeah. Just you, the companies need to understand that risks are increasing in frequency and duration. Like I said, look at all of, the hurricanes that have happened, look at the snowstorms, even if, like I said, you Mm -hmm. only are focused on the bottom line and you don't care about the environment, you do care about disruption to your business. So again, if you're using a vendor or supplier in Central America that gets decimated by a hurricane, how are you getting those needed supplies? If you're using a vendor in the Pacific Rim that gets hit by a typhoon or two or three, you're disrupting your business. So even if people don't want to focus on the environmental aspects or the positive environmental change, they should focus on disruption to their business. These disruptions are going to happen. Look at just this year, right? We've had a huge wildfire in Australia. We've had mm-hmm. floods. We've had, I mean, so much has happened this year to the environment, to the world that affects the economy, that affects your business. And we're not even halfway through the year. These things are going to keep happening um, at increased and sporadic intervals. So companies need to focus on, hey, here's a risk. Risk is increasing. We want to mitigate those risks if we want to stay in business. Well, another point of that has just uh, cropped up in my head here. We hear from, you know, some business leaders and politicians as well 
that, you know, if we make any, try to make any change to the climate, you know, to change or any changes to us and what we do and climate change, it's all long-term stuff, you know, and we'll be dead by the time that there's any benefits to it. Is there any validity in that? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either because, again, like I said, you know, you and I talked about Apple. Look at all the things Apple has done, and they had them in place, started in 2015, ended in 2020. They are a very profitable company, Mm -hmm. right? So you are seeing companies do things um, in the short term because they realize these things are going to be an impact in the short term. So again, in the, in the first segment, we talked about PG&E in California declared bankruptcy in 2019, not 2099, not 2100 last year. So there's certainly things that are going to happen in, in the long term, but there's things happening right now. If you were a company in Australia, right? The whole mm-hmm. continent was on fire. Yeah. In, in January, February, that wasn't 50 years from now. That's not when the board is dead. That's not when you and I are dead. That was right now. So there are long-term implications. Um, but you know, I advise companies to focus on what's happening right now, what's going on in your world right now. You know, hurricane Dorian last year, the strongest storm to ever hit the Bahamas. That was right mm-hmm. now. That wasn't 2100. There are, so, yeah. So people who are thinking long-term in terms of it doesn't matter, I would argue that there's things happening all the time right now, and they're just not not connecting the dots. I guess that kind of comes back a little bit to that uh, political slant that you mentioned at the very beginning. <clears throat> yes, exactly. So I certainly, just like you, I travel around the world, I talk around the world, and in certain countries, I can use the word climate change and no one bats an eye. In certain countries, I say climate change and people say, well, that's not true or that's a hoax or it's cyclical. Mm. Um, but even, let's say things were in a 50-year cycle, wouldn't you still want to manage risk for your company during that cycle? You can't just say, oh, in 2070, we'll be fine. Like you said, we'll all be retired or dead by then. So yeah. even if you believe that things are in a... 10, 20, 30 year cycle, your business still has to prepare for that. Yes. Yeah. That's that future outlook. You know, you, you want your business to grow and continue. So, you know, climate change has to become a part of that because that is becoming, you know, the, I don't want to say the norm, but it is becoming more and more uh, in people's uh, psyche, so to speak. Exactly. We're certainly seeing things um, that we haven't seen in a long time or ever. So companies should be responding to that and and working to make themselves more resilient. Do you have any uh, recommendations uh, for organizations that um, have, you know, they're, they're, they are looking at, you know, climate change and, uh, you know, look thinking long-term, but how do we actually document responses to these climate changes? Because it's not as simple as, uh, you know, I don't have uh, power in the building. Okay, fine. I my continuity plan or response. Turn on the generator and everybody works. Climate change is a little bit different. So how how do we capture and document responses to something you know on that kind of a scale? Is it different? Yeah. See, so well, you know, you're still, you know, I keep coming back to risk assessments, and mm-hmm. the reason I come back to that is it's something 
that business continuity professionals are familiar with. It's something that management is familiar with. So I always like to start with something that has a, a level of comfort and familiarity. So you can do those risk assessments, but like you said, you need to be looking at longer term or more um, severe scenarios. So there's a company I work with that um, they've started to do geological assessments where they're located in certain areas because they've done huge investments. They want to see what is the stability of the soil, how much water, where are things looking 20, 25 years out. Now, that doesn't make mm-hmm. sense for a small business, but if you mm-hmm. invested $5 billion or $10 billion, right, those kind of things do make sense. It's risk mm-hmm. mitigation. Um, certainly, again, looking at floodplain maps and, and thinking, okay, are these relevant? Or, and this, you know, this is where if you're embedded in the community, again, we talked about EMS and Houston, if you were uh, involved in Houston and not just a point on a map for your company, you would know, hey, there's been a lot of building there. Where I live um, in Florida, there's been a huge building boom, similar situation. So you can start to incorporate non-traditional data into your, into your risk assessment. And certainly the bigger Mm -hmm. the risk, I would argue there should be some investment. Do we want to spend $20,000 to mitigate a $5,000 risk? Of course not. Is it worth spending $20,000 to mitigate a $5 billion risk? Most boards wouldn't even blink at that. So it's about being, you know, proportional and mindful of what is the business? What is the culture of the business? Where should we be investing our time and energy. Yeah, I like that. Believe it or not, we only have about two minutes left. <laughs> Can you take one minute? And, and I know the time goes by so fast sometimes. Can you it take does, uh, one yes. minute with any final thoughts you may have on uh, climate change and you know the the BCM profession and professionals? Yeah, I think just the the world continues change. You look at cybersecurity, none of us even knew what cybersecurity meant 15 years ago. Now it's a huge part of our business. So we have to be nimble. And as the world changes and as our organizations change, we have to change with it. That's true. And it all comes down to, you know, uh, your great example of all the, the risk assessments, you know, that, which is really a, f- a foundation of our industry. It's, it's yes. got to be just one data point, though. It can't be the only thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right. Well, uh, I want to thank you, James, uh, for having you on the show a second time. And who knows, uh, maybe a third time later this year, depending on how All coronavirus right. plays out. And if we do a live show again, maybe we'll get you on a third time. And I'm sure I'll run into you in uh, Toronto uh, and or uh, Birmingham. So I'm <laughs> looking right, forward to that. Good. So thanks very All much, right, thanks, James. For joining again and everyone that's out there uh thanks to stone road for sponsoring the show today with uh, boastassessment.com and in the meantime stay prepared everybody thank you for joining us for preparing for the unexpected 
Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.